Welcome to the Move Forward Podcast with Dr. Kim Moss. We are here to move you forward in the call of God for your life, your career, and your ministry through prophetic insight, practical teaching, and powerful conversations with influential leaders. Never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward. Welcome to Move Forward. I am your host, Dr. Kim Moss, as usual. And today I'm coming to you from Studio B. And I am so excited to introduce to you Dr. Pete Bellini, who is a friend of mine. And friends call him Petey. So I'll be calling him Petey today. But he is Dr. Pete Bellini. He's Italian. He's a power lifter. He's a boxer. He's brilliant. He has a PhD. He's a theologian, a scholar, a professor at Theological United Theological Seminary. He's a husband, father, and I believe he's a grandfather, yes. pastor, elder, prophet, and author of several books, all of which you can find on Amazon. But three, uh, four, I want to mention in particular Truth Therapy, which is renewing your mind with the Word of God, unleashed the CI-13, C-113 Integrative Deliverance Needs Assessment, the Cerulean Soul, which is one of my favorites, which is a relational theology of depression, and his brand new book, Thunderstruck, the Deliverance Ministry of John Wesley Today. Pete, hey. welcome to my show. Thank you for joining me on Move Forward. Thank you, Kim. Glad to be here. Glad to be with you. And you know, just ministered with you recently, and that was a blessing. It's so good to be with you today. It was so much fun. Yeah, we had a great time. And I I really love the Methodist Church, and I really believe that God is doing something very special there and bringing a, a whole new uh, era of renewal. I think so. I think you're right. God's doing a new thing, and you know, I'm just glad to be a part of it and be in the midst of it. <laughs> right? Me too. I get that. So today I brought you on for a very specific topic and uh, I, because I think it's fascinating and I have been, uh, been asked questions about it, but I recently read an article that you wrote a few months back about artificial intelligence. And the interesting thing is Dr. Pete, that, um, People are raving about its capabilities. I had my daughter said, mom, you want to check this out, chat GPT or something like that. And then I had even on, uh, I believe it was on Instagram, asked me if I wanted AI to assist me in writing my sermons, my, my, the word of God. You know? So I read this little, I read this little excerpt somewhere and um, it's not out of your article, which I will mention some quotes out of your article, but it says artificial intelligence is reshaping academic and scientific writing. This exciting development opens up new avenues for students, PhD candidates, postdocs, academics, professors, and just enthusiasts, authors, and copy editors to enhance their research and their writing. To me, you know, to me, uh, Pete, that feels like cheating. <laughs> it, right. It right, feels right. like cheating. Right, right. Well, you know what? Uh, we talk about an academia plagiarism and that you have to, you know, cite your quotations and whatnot. And that's exactly what chat GPT is doing. It's a, it itself is a plagiarizer. It's, it's taking a, a lot of data and data mining, all of, you know, the, the texts that are out there and it's, you know, at light speed, it is giving you answers to your questions and it rarely cites the sources. And then people are going to be using 
of course, Chad GPT. So, yeah, it's it's here. We have to work with it. Uh, we have to tell our students how to best use it. They're going to use it no matter what. I prefer that they don't use it at all. But yeah. uh, it, it, it's here. They're going to be searching on it just like they use a Google search and, uh, you know, getting papers and, and, and sermons written and that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, that's that's it's part. It's not my generation. You know, the whole computer <laughs> computers yeah. are not I'm not indigenous to them. I'm an older generation. I didn't grow up with them. And so, you know, we, we have to learn to adapt. And that's where we're at. And it's you know, that's clearly the future. But um I think so, too. And I think that I think that that we're going to have to be very, very careful. And I think that we uh, which is the reason I brought you on here is I think that we need to think it through. I think there are uh, I think there are theological implications. I think that there are just practical implications. One of the one of the practical implications I wanted to talk to you about theological implications. But one of the practical implications is that um, we're not going to have to think anymore. And and I remember as a child now I'm I'm your generation. So I remember as a child that I had to memorize phone numbers. Yeah. And yeah. now if I if I lose my phone and I leave it behind I leave it behind at home, I can't remember someone's phone number because it's right. not logged in there. It my memory is really in this in this thing called a called an iPhone. You right. know, and I love the iPhone and I use it, but with social media and with Google search and all of that, our attention span and our ability to really think long and hard and practically and logically about things is being stolen from this next generation, which is a whole another issue, right? Right, right. You know, I laugh at that. I mean, I could remember what, I don't know, I could go back, maybe think 1971, my phone number was 216-475-3327. I mean, I could remember that. But today, I don't know anyone. I, I know my phone number, but that's about it. And there's yeah. a lot of like, you know, small skills that we may have had then that young people today uh, don't have. I mean, like, for example, doing math in your head. Uh, yeah. I, how many can do how, how many can do math in their head today you know how many can make change for a $20 bill uh, a lot of these things that were just you know everyday cultural literacy if you will to get through every day uh, young people don't have to do anymore because computers uh, do them for us and you know there's phases that a machine utilization can go through and of course it's uh, it's nice when a machine is an instrument or a tool to help us uh, do things and, th- and that's what computers do it's nice when they're even further an enhancement and that's what i think happened in 1981 with the first uh, personal computer and then in, in 1983 at the, the official launching of the internet it enhances our whole life not just uh, you know one area but there's a certain level where something like a computer can become what i call a prosthesis and, it, it, and usually you have a prosthetic, uh, a prosthesis when something is impaired. Like if, you know, your, your leg was amputated, you were a diabetic and you have a prosthetic and it helps you. This is a prosthesis that actually makes us impaired uh, in yeah. some senses. So we don't have to uh, think anymore in our minds. Uh, what can happen when something is uh, like if you have a prosthetic leg or uh, other areas of your body can become atrophied. And so our minds can become atrophied 
from not using them in certain ways, even exactly. though, you know, there's great things that it can do. You'd mentioned like writing a sermon and stuff, uh, you know, Hey, that's wonderful. It's, you know, 12 midnight, you got to come up with a sermon before, uh, uh, Sunday, you need a Saturday night special, so you find one on online. But you know, it takes away the Holy Spirit. It takes it away the the spiritual formation that's involved when I have to write a sermon. That's because right. for me, it's not really sermon preparation. God always said to me, "Prepare the preacher," and and the preacher, the prepared preacher, becomes a sermon, and then you just speak from the depths of your heart. So, in terms right. of preparing the preacher. It uh, doesn't take much, you know, three clicks and you got a sermon. <laughs> well, yes. And where, where's this, where is the, like you said, the spiritual formation, where's the Holy Spirit right, in all right, of that, right. you know, which, which we're going to get to. So let me, let me, let's get started sure, on sure. your article. So you make, you quote, uh, there's a quote in your article that I love so much that, um, that you talk about, uh, wait a minute, let's go back just a little bit. You say Blake Lemoyne, a senior software engineer for Google's response is Google's responsible AI was first was fired this past summer for making the brazen claim that the L I don't know what it is. Lambda chat yeah, box. Right. Yeah. Had attained general or strong artificial intelligence. <laughs> what is he? What did he mean by that? It, it sounds like he meant that it was almost human. Right. Right. I think. Uh, I don't know if we all remember the story last summer with this fellow that was with Google. He no longer is. And uh, he came to a place. He was an odd fellow. I think he even felt he, he fell in love with this system, uh, literally. So uh, he, he thought that the system had attained sentience or uh, ASI, uh, you know, artificial strong intelligence. And that simply means when a machine can compute and perform tasks at a human level, and that it passes for being human, then we've reached ASI, which is currently not the case. It's a fiction. We're, we're attempting to do that, but that has not been attained yet. And I, I, my, a lot of my work comes from a theological, philosophical, and neuroscientific background that says it, I don't think it'll ever be possible to attain that kind of uh, level of, of, of humanity, having human consciousness. But that's what this fella had believed. And then Google was quick to, you know, rebut that and, uh, you know, take that information off. And then they, they uh, readily dismissed uh, the fella. So, so interesting. And so then, then you write about, and I, I almost couldn't believe this when I read this, but that an associate pastor from another place said that I don't see Christ's redemption limited to human beings. It's redemption of all creation, even AI. And if AI is autonomous, we should encourage it to participate in Christ's redemptive purposes in the world. And so then another one says that what if what if an advanced version of Siri was programmed to pay, pray? Would Does God receive the prayers of this artificial intelligence or is it only human beings he receives prayer from? And then the last one said that um, these free will beings that we've made, that there's an important point right there, that we made, will say to us at some point, I believe in God and what do I do? <laughs> and he says at this point, we should have a response. And my first thing was a response. <laughs> like this is AI, artificial 
intelligence. However, they are bringing up several theological issues. So can you tell us about that, Dr. Pete? Yeah, there's a lot there. So some of these folks, there's, you know, as you reference pastors, professors and, and evangelists and others believe what they're hearing from a lot of the top computer engineers and computer scientists and cognitive scientists that soon, a lot of them believe before 2030, that they will have attained, you know, machines will have attained through deep learning, uh, ASI, which I just referenced, uh, artificial strong intelligence, meaning they could perform and function at a human level and even pass for uh, human performance, which I, I'll get into. I don't believe that that will ever be possible. But those who believe it is possible are letting folks know, and some of these pastors are, and professors are saying, okay, if that's the case, and this thing becomes human or human-like and has agency and consciousness, then shouldn't we be evangelizing it? Shouldn't we lead it to Christ and disciple it and, and catechize it and teach it the faith and baptize it, et cetera, et cetera? Well, if it actually could become human, I would say yes, but the fact is it can't. Um, and the arguments that I make, and when I, when I deal with this subject, I am, let me just put this up front. I am not a computer scientist. I'm not a computer engineer. I'm not a computer anything. I barely get by like everybody else. I come at it from a, a, a point of view as a theologian who works strongly in philosophy, like the ontology of consciousness, what is consciousness, what's the mind, and from the cognitive sciences and neuroscience. So from those vantage points, my analysis uh, goes forth, and I just finished a book that'll be hopefully getting published later this year on the subject, and that is that consciousness is not something that is a physically derived, that it somehow emerges or or is a, uh, is reduced to our physicality, like you know our mind is reduced to our brain. A lot of scientists say that, and I don't believe that's the case, and I give my rationale for it. Or some believe it's what's called computational. And what that means is your brain is nothing less than a computer itself. It functions exactly like a computer. It computes. It operates under algorithms and programming just like a computer does. And I don't agree with that either. I think there's some similarity, but I don't agree with that it is a computer. But those who believe it is, they simply believe then that all you have to do is create a computational simulation or version of the human brain. And so you can almost imagine going into the human brain and taking out neuron at a time. But for every neuron you, you pull out, you replace it with a silicone chip that has an artificial neural network that simulates brain neural networks. And, and you replace it. And what will happen is uh, if, at, the, at the end of all of that, the machine which will have your exact uh, neural uh, systems and neural hardware will produce consciousness. And thus then, boom, there you have it. You have a uh, human, human intelligence and that sort of thing, which I don't believe is possible because consciousness is not computational. It's, uh, I believe it's fundamental and basic to reality, and it ultimately comes as a gift from God. So we didn't create consciousness. We can't give it away, bottom line. Right. Pete, your uh, can you put your other your uh, other ear ear pod? It fell out, and so well, um, has, your, our, oh, it only oh. has one. Oh, it does. Okay. Yeah. All can right. You, can because, you still hear me? 
Yes, I can hear you, but the, there's something, uh, I think when your arm moves, it hits a microphone. Oh, so, okay. I'll make sure. Yeah, I don't so do move that. it toward the, yeah. <laughs> well, you are Italian. You're talking with Talk your with hands. My hands. Yes. Is Sorry, there Amanda. That I have to reiterate. <laughs> no, huh? No, okay. I think we got that part. We'll just edit it from where I came in and, and did that. Is that okay, Amanda? Okay. All right. So good. Very good. So now I'm going to count down and then I'm going to ask you the next question. Since I, I'm sorry I interrupted you, I wanted to, uh, I thought maybe your ear, the other ear part fell out. Sure. Okay. Five, four, three, two, one. So Pete, we were talking about consciousness. You were talking about right. um, the difference between consciousness and what the artificial intelligence has. So. Right. What does it mean to be human? I, I mean, I think that we're trying, what we're saying is that they'll never be human, even if they attain to human-like thought. Is that what we're really saying? I mean, because consciousness would involve, in my understanding, for as and I'm no theologian, but but as a pastor, I would say it involves um, the spirit. And, and so if we made it, God didn't create it, it doesn't have the breath of God in it. So how could it really be conscious? Right, right. Um, yeah, I believe, first of all, that they will be able to create computers, artificial intelligence, that will exceed human intelligence and performance. I believe that that is not far away. But it will not pass for being human because it will not be able to have human consciousness, which is not physically derived it's not doesn't come from directly from our brain nor does it emerge from our brain nor is it computational meaning it, it, we don't function as a computer and so we can't make a computer simulated consciousness well we can but it'll be artificial and recognizable it won't be human consciousness and so you know human consciousness is what makes us what we are it's our first person subjective experience it's how i experience the world and reality and it's what it feels like to be me now those things aren't computational it's a gift from god and even though science doesn't believe that there's such a thing as a soul or a spirit and unfortunately a lot of christian theologians don't believe it either but in spite of that i believe there is an immaterial aspect of us which we can call the spirit, soul, these sort of things. But consciousness is a key component of it, and that comes as a gift from God. It is mm -hmm. not something that we can create. So since we can't create it, we can't duplicate it or give it away. The only way consciousness is replicated or reproduced is through procreation. <laughs> That's, yes, because because being human is something more than just our intelligence. It, yeah, yeah, it's it's more than well. It it first of all, the premise that our brain is a computer is the faulty premise. Because if it were, then we could create a computational version of it, but it's not. Now there is aspects where it we you know that are algorithmic, if you will. But we are our brain is not a computer, and therefore it's faulty to think that we could create this computational simulated version, and then consciousness will appear and it'll pass for being human, which is called the Turing test. And I don't yeah. think that'll ever be the case again, because consciousness is from God. It's a gift. 
It is. And and we're made in the Imago Dei. That's right. We're, we're, we, are, we are made in God's image. Yes. And, and a computer, we made computers. So, yeah, so there's all that. What are the, what are the, so these are theological implications because they involved yeah. being there because they involve ontology, I would think. Is that right? Right, right. We're dealing with theological anthropology or ontology, which simply is, what does it mean to be human? You know, who are we? And what is the ontology of a computer or AI? Well, it's computational. What is yes. the ontology or anthropology of you or me? Like you said, the Imago Dei, the image of God's a great place to start. And who are we? Well, we're human made in the image of God. Uh, we're not God, but we're similar to God in the image and likeness of God. You know, we can reason. God reasons. We have human. We have will. God has will. You know, those sorts of things. But uh, a computer it does not have those. They're an extension of our image. So there is some aspects of us that go into what we produce, our thoughts, our intentions. But in the case of a computer, it's merely computational. Now, we can operate computationally. We do that all the time, you know, yeah. algorithmically and follow various rules and, and that sort of thing. But that doesn't define or exhaust, you know, who we are as, as human. There's aspects of us, like our phenomenal consciousness, which are inexplicable. I can't tell you, you know, how I feel, and neither could a computer tell truly how Pete Bellini feels when he hugs his wife or holds his granddaughter. You know, these are things that are be, that are incomputable. And these are the aspects of our consciousness or what it feels like to be me, which are, uh, you know, they're irreplicable. So how do we as the church then, how do, how do we help the church and other leaders, others who are thinking through this, how do we help them? Um, what, what are some safeguards that we need to put in place? How do we help them use AI responsibly? Right. Well, there's so many levels that we need to educate our congregation and our people on. And so we have to kind of exegete where they're at and, and, and educate them. You know, what I do since I'm a seminary professor, I teach masters and doctoral level students and I write for academia. So I finished this book about the, the very subject we're talking about to educate people about the vast difference between, you know, what it is to be human, what it is to be a computer, and what is the uniqueness of humanity. So we got to educate persons. Now, for some, that may be over their heads, and what they just need is, you know, some uh, basic guidelines on how to use, you know, chat GPT for, you know, <laughs> homework or whatever. And hopefully schools are getting up to speed on this, and, uh, you know, we have, like, programs that let us know if students have plagiarized and could kind of yeah. flag if they've used chat gpt so it's kind of like a nuclear arms race and in my book i compare the use of uh artificial intelligence to the problems we had in our day and age and in our parents day and age about the use of nuclear power and how mm -hmm. volatile it could be and how it could you know be used constructively but it could also destroy the whole human race and so you know so good. Yeah. So how do we, you know, teach our students, our children, whatever, you know, how to use this stuff responsibly, 
uh, when to, you know, that you have to cite it in papers and that sort of thing. Uh, but also to recognize, just like in the arms race, you know, Russia built nuclear weapons, we built greater ones and so forth. Currently, there are, you know, safeguards and programs being built to counter, you know, persons using chat GPT in, in a way that, you know, that, that's not good. And so that's that's happening now. And so the, oh, good. we're trying to yeah, there, there, there's a lot of programs out there and apps out there now to respond to these sorts of things, because as we're learning, um, here's the thing to understand. Yeah. Computers are an extension of us. They don't have their own agency. And even in the day when they do have their own agency, it'll merely be an extension of our programming that right. they learn how to learn on their own. So. Right. Computers are only going to exhibit or uh, manifest the virtues or vices that we program into it. So currently, we need to be aware that computers, AI, chat GPT, can be racist, biased, sexist, deceptive, uh, anti-Christian. I mean, you, you, you post or plug stuff into chat GPT and you ask, for example, questions about you know, the current president and it, and it will say, well, I, I'm not, you know, I'm not at liberty to talk politics, et cetera, et cetera. <laughs> then you ask it questions about Donald Trump and it'll just, you know, it'll give you its opinion. So there's, Oh, a don't go there. Yeah. There's political <laughs> biases within the programming yes. itself. And more, more than that, just like humans have mental disorders or yeah. at times where we could have cognitive malfunctions or if you're old like me, you forget things, you forget where you put stuff. <laughs> yeah. Computers also, we're finding out, have these you know, hiccups, hallucinations, disorders, days when they're, they're not having a good day and act strange. <laughs> we found that out from that Bing AI when uh, it was you know, spewing out stuff that was was absolutely crazy. He was threatening to, you know, destroy the world and call oh my reporter a Hitler and then fell in love with another user and said, run away, leave your wife and run away with me. I mean, the computer. Oh, lost, man. The computer lost its <laughs> mind. So it sure know, did. <laughs> we live in a sinful world and, and it's going to impact our technology as well, just like it's the true. Internet did. The Internet, when it first came out, OK, it's an instrument for this, that and the other thing. But then it became an extension, not only of our virtue, but of our vice and became an instrument for, you know, more sin. Uh, yeah. You know, it's blessing and cursing either way. You make the choice. So it's the same thing with AI. Tools. Yes. We have to remember they're tools. So we yeah. use them for good and not for bad. Right. But right. we have we have we have two minutes left. And so I would love for you to minister to our people in whatever way you feel led. If you want to tell them what you see coming, uh, you might, but uh, two minutes, Dr. Pete, go ahead. Right. You know, I, I believe that the word is that as Proverbs says, the darkness is getting darker, but the light is getting brighter. You're going to see more political and social chaos, many loose ends in these areas that have not resolved themselves. Uh, you know, we're going to see because the usual way of resolution is through our political system or social order. There's the glue that holds things that holds things together. These are becoming unglued. Our institutions no longer work. We, we used to trust them. But God is bringing forth new opportunities, a new beginning, new fields for harvest. New lead, leaders are emerging amidst these new challenges, a new generation of fearless, loving warriors that are going to uh, reap a new harvest. I believe it's a time of new beginning, a time of radical new beginnings like I've never sensed in my life. You're going to see spiritual, marital, 
uh, families, recovery, deliverance, healing. You know, new things are happening, new ideas, new visions and dreams for those, you know, who have had the, the, those years stolen from them. It's a redeeming time. It's a time where God is going to redeem the time at warp speed at hyperspeed, recovering wasted years that the locust has devoured and bring forth these incredible new beginnings. We're going to see things that like, man, oh, I wasted 20 years of my life or whatever. And God's going to recover and restore these. And so, Lord, Amen. we believe that now for your people, Father God. Yes. Uh, we put our eyes on you and know you are doing a new thing and you are releasing new beginnings into the lives of people. And we release that now. We're just in agreement with you for new beginnings for families, for marriages, for recovery, for deliverance, for healing, new visions and dreams, new companies, new organizations, new marriages, new ministries, Lord. We know that you have this plan for as the enemy, you know, comes in like a flood and we see that all around us, but we keep our eyes on you and we know you're raising up your kingdom standard and releasing your kingdom people to build it. And so we give you praise and glory that what you're doing now, Lord, that we partner with is going to catapult us into your preferred future for us. And we Amen. give you thanksgiving and praise right now for those new things. Amen. And I just pray that your people would be in agreement so they could see a release of these things. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. That was that was awesome. Thank you so much, Dr. Pete, for being my guest today. It was so Thank much you. fun to have you. Well, that's it for today. We'll see you again next Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time right here on Move Forward with Dr. Kim Moss. Sign up for my Move Forward newsletter. Get exclusive content by texting the number on your screen. Don't forget to support us. We love serving you. We'll see you next week. And remember, never throw away your confidence. Keep moving forward. Thank you for joining us for the Move Forward podcast. We would love for you to rate this podcast and share it with a friend. You can connect with Dr. Kim on social media. For those links and more, visit her website, kimmoss.com. Host Dr. Kim Moss leads Kim Moss Ministries and Women of Our Time. She is the author of Prophetic Community, The Way of the Kingdom, Facing Ziklag, and The Four Questions. You can find those books on Amazon. Remember, never throw away your confidence. It is time to move forward.